8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Asraf Gada. The Viewpoint with Asraf Gada. So many people have tweeted, many have SMS. We couldn't get through all of them, of course, because of chatting to Vusi at that stage. If I try, I'll try and do them later on. We'll certainly respond via social media as well. The second half of the show today is the big picture. And we're trying to get the big picture into Donald Trump's foreign policy. Not domestic policy, foreign policy. The, the president of the USA, what is his foreign policy? Why is that foreign policy what it is? And let's try and understand what underpins all of that. And, and maybe to set it all up, this is what he had to say about uh, the leader on the other side of the big pond. If Putin likes Donald Trump, I consider that an asset, not a liability. Because we have a horrible relationship with Russia. Russia can help us fight ISIS, which, by the way, is number one tricky. I mean, if you look, this administration created ISIS by leaving at the wrong time. The void was created. ISIS was formed. If Putin likes Donald Trump, guess what, folks? That's called an asset, not a liability. Now, I don't know that I'm going to get along with Vladimir Putin. I hope I do. But there's a good chance I won't. And if I don't, do you honestly believe that Hillary would be tougher on Putin than me? Does anybody in this room really believe that? Give me a break. Okay, that's what he said, of course, in the run-up to uh, winning the presidential election that... Of course, he was never going to win. He was just about a fun. He was this guy with this business guy with this big dream. He was never going to win anything. And as we now know, well, whoever were the forecasters, they got it absolutely wrong. Let's try and make sense of where he is right now, um, looking at the big picture around the foreign policy of um, the U.S. President Donald Trump. My guest on the line, Professor um, Superman Lazondi, is a professor of international relations at the University of Pretoria. So, Prof. Zondi, appreciate your time. Thank you. Right, so so we're trying to make sense of his foreign policy. Perhaps, you know, are are there three or four key points that that defines his foreign policy? Then we'll try and understand the why in that. Um, At at one level, let me just start by saying the the first picture of of Trump's foreign policy is the normal U.S. foreign policy, which is about seeking the best ways of dominating the world and maintaining the U.S.'s global hegemon. In this case, it's not different from any of the U.S. presidents. Uh, the difference then is only that he's doing it in more open ways, and they always always find very nice and subtle ways of doing it. The second thing is that he is the uh, all foreign policy is a product of national and domestic imperatives and agenda. And right now, the main an important impulse that he's written on is the one that has a sense of uh, the U.S. that was a dream, the U.S. that was a big hegemon, that the U.S. that was prosperous and all that, the dream is dissipating, and therefore there's a scramble to try and patch it back and bring it back, right, called make America great again. That is a, a very important picture of its war important, trying to look for meaning, trying to sort of look for the bully big U.S. Uh, element. The, the, third, the third one related to that is the, the what you like the preeminence of the idea of self-interest. That is asked about the U.S. and that the U.S. is sort of pulling back from its view of itself as a, a an actor for global public good, but just an actor for itself. It's a self-interested 
uh, predatory institution that is out there. The last one, which perhaps is a product of all of the last two, is a sense of haphazardness and ad hocism. That things aren't quite structured, uh, it's becoming predictable, and it's now, it's always been predictable for the rest of us, but it's always been very predictable for its friends and for the worst, and suddenly it has become unpredictable for them too. And, and, and the point is, in terms of his general policy, foreign policy, how much, I mean, the initial point you said has always been American foreign policy anyway, which then gets me to think that how much does his policy actually differ from his immediate predecessor, which would be uh, Barack Obama and, and all the other, let's say, the, next, the previous four or five presidents before that? How much does it, does it differ? Uh, the main difference between the typical um, Democrat, democratic foreign policy and the Republican foreign policy is the, is the, is the mannerism around it, is the, is the aura built around it, is the manner in which it is executed. The Democrats believe in doing it in more subtle, exactly the same power, they pursue the same self-interest in American national interest, America's own national security, projecting American power all over the world. But they prefer to do it subtle, and if they can find friends and win friends in that thing, they can dupe others and, and, and mislead others and help bring them in and help, uh, uh, draw them in. They would do that. And, and uh, uh, Clinton, Bill Clinton and Obama were very good in, in that. And the Republicans tend to be more crude and more frontal, and they do the same thing, but they do it in more obvious ways. So in many ways, then, a George Bush Junior and a Trump are similar in the sense that the real America is made very obvious and there's no hiding of it. But you and I have to think about whether there's a material difference in that, whether there's a fundamental difference in that. In the first, that the bully hides itself in one form and the bully reveals itself in another form and still a bully. So the political hasn't really, really changed. Of course, for the establishment that has been mainly democratic, they are worried about the fact that letting the cat out causes you to lose the, the friends that thought they were your friends. And I suppose this is, an, this is an important yeah. point. You know, in terms of whatever your foreign policy is, even if it puts your country at the center of your foreign policy, it ultimately has to work for, for, the, for, the, for the country uh, in terms of getting all its bases checked. A country doesn't really want to have enemies either, isn't it? Uh, how much of a problem has that been? It, it is, it's always a problem in the world. If, foreign, if countries were to pursue foreign policy as if it was domestic policy, it would always cause problems because the world is not a domestic terrain. It's not a terrain that is, it should ever be put under the control of anyone. It's a terrain we always regard for all countries. It's a terrain that are fully in control of, and therefore they are obligated to be good citizens. They are obligated to make friends, to, to act well, to take care of the commons, uh, take care of common will and, and stuff like that, so that they can then get their advantage. Okay. But if they look at, at, uh, at the world out there as a domain for themselves, they're always going to cause others to want to stay on their domain and therefore create, cause more disintegration, cause more division. As you see now, the G7 is almost dead, mm-hmm. and NAFTA is dead. Now NATO is limping, 
Now, all six started all well, well, it's something. I tell you. I'll tell you what. Let, okay. Are in trouble. Let, let, let's and let's try and understand what that really means. Eight to ten p.m. The viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. And we'll update you on that dramatic last 16 game. Japan 2, Belgium 0. Uh, over the next 30 minutes, we'll certainly keep you up to date no matter what. The issues of um, the USA and Donald Trump's foreign policy, American foreign policy in the Donald Trump administration. Let's try and make sense of all of that. Uh, your opinion also matters, certainly. 891 uh, That's the call in. If you're tweeting, it's hashtag SAFM Viewpoint, and then tag me, Ashraf Garda, as well as SAFM Radio. So we've got to our guest now, Professor Sipamandla Zondi. is a professor of international relations at the University of Pretoria. We're joined by a second guest pretty shortly as well. All right, so, so you were talking about, Professor Zondi, about... Because of that foreign policy, lots of what um, established, uh, let's call it economic and political clubs around the world are not functioning well. Explain that. Yes, um, I was just saying for the first time in a very long time, uh, what we call the worst as a block or the club, but not as a block, seems in serious pattern. It seems that the key institutions that have been behind it. Uh, if you look at the key policy institution, global political policy policy institution called the G7, it's suddenly in purpose, it meets in Canada, and it looks like they push up a, a compromise, and uh, Trump leaves a little area in order to go to North Korea, and uh, they release a statement, it distances himself from it, and the U.S. has always been the underwriter of the G7, because there is a son in the G7 as an extension of its power, and that goes with its owner. And NATO is a very important military alliance for the extension of U.S. global political power as well. And the U.S. has been uh, uh, talking up hostility there in the respect of what it, it, it says is the U.S. overspending there. It is proportionally spending more than others, and others need to pick up the bill. And, and that's an important institution for, for, the, for, for the Western global power. It is the same as well at, at the WEF, and it was the same at OECD. All are important institutions for the world at the center of global power, in the world. it's always been organized. Everything may be fall apart, the UN may fall apart and stuff, but the West has always been very organized. And it's very unprecedented that you now have that confrontation between the US and Canada, the US and the whole of the EU, and, 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 and the things that we've seen recently. They are unprecedented, and they they, uh, they simply just go to show uh, how this is dependent on the U.S. playing that soft, soft inside, uh, hiding its reality in order to maintain this facade of unity and cohesion in the West. Well, it augurs bad for the West. It might augur bad for the for the whole world as well. And especially as the U.S. attacks global multilateralism, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. very important for the rest of now, the now, in terms of, and if I can describe it as U.S.'s uh, isolationist policy, some may challenge me on that, right? Is it an isolationist policy that is sustainable? That means political and economic, you know, in fact, it, it's not so much economic isolation, it's political isolation, I would think, right? Uh, but, but is that sustainable? I'm not really sure if this concept isolationism applies well in this case, but we see more antagonistic foreign policy, more confrontational foreign policy, because it is isolating itself from some 
but it is drawing itself to others as well. For example, very critical powers like Russia, like China, it's going soft on those, and then another, a number of others in the world. But it is confrontational against those that have been close to it. It is one of the strangest things. The, the traditional allies is having difficult relations with them, but the others kind of going softly, of course, with elements of going tantrum here and there. But it is actually um, breaking down the very uh, basis of the post-1945 global system, which was the, the Western center that is very cohesive and knows how to manage its power, knows manage its internal dynamics, and Trump is throwing these internal dynamics out in the open. They've always been there, but it's making them worse. Now, now to what, you know, for many of us on this side of the world, we tend to think Donald Trump decides everything on his own. It's all about Donald Trump. Therefore, if you dislike him, you dislike Donald Trump. That's it, as opposed to the policies of that country. To, to yeah. what extent is his party and domestic policy impacting on, on American foreign policy? One of, one of the strangest things is that um, Donald Trump is not a, a, a Republican, at least not a typical Republican. So he doesn't really come from the party. The party followed him. He's a personality on his own, and he, 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 he's made, made his name through very crude uh, business and sometimes unscrupulous business dealings and stuff like that. And he, he's catapulted into power because of disappointment and disillusionment with the establishment, either Republican or, or Democrat, among a large section of the American, U.S. population. And then he gets into government, and he gets into government. He's also not held by the government position. He goes as a lone ranger. He's very aware that he has a powerful goal. It's very unusual because presidents in the U.S. tend to be institutionalized and built on the basis of the establishment. But he's an anti-establishment. So he's a lone ranger, a sole guy who, who can go up against everyone. And that's why he can talk. Like recently, he was, he was going on a front line against the his own Department of Justice. Mm, mm, mm. You can go to the Department of So, so help, us understand, help us understand this. How does a lone ranger then, you know, uh, amass the type of political power to go about making these decisions? Because, and I look at the example of South Africa, where the, the thought is we have a new president, but because he's not unanimous in terms of his own political party, he can't actually do as he wants. Yes, and then in the U.S., when, when you win elections and you win on the basis of your own you know, campaign, putting on your own money, then you can pretty much do what you wish. Because it's a presidential the political system. It has very effective powers given to the president, the office of the president by the Constitution. Well, he doesn't need to consult the Republican Party either. He actually is not even part of the Republican Party in a real sense of the word. He doesn't have written to them. They just are supposed to follow. You know why? Because there are mid-term congressional elections coming, and they are hoping to ride on Trump in order to get a majority as Republican, and then as a Republican, then they can have their Republican agenda, and they may differ with, 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 with Trump later. But they need to throw a line, go around him, build around this momentum in order to get themselves back into power, because otherwise the, the, the Democrats will continue to control it.
the Houses of Parliament. All right, it's such an important and a very fascinating discussion. Uh, Donald Trump's foreign policy. Uh, now, you're listening into our conversation. What do you make of his foreign policy, number one? What do you understand and, and how does it impact on you and, and the people you deal with? And you could well have friends in the USA or friends who may want to travel to the USA or do business in the USA. Uh, do you Do you actually give a hoot about his foreign policy? Can you actually ignore his foreign policy? Either way, what's your opinion? Uh, is it misunderstood? That's another point to consider. 0891-10427. I'd like to get your viewpoint. The show is called The Viewpoint. It's all about that. He clearly has a view which is able to push through. But do you have a view uh, on his view, Donald Trump's view? Now, my guest is uh, one of two guests. Professor uh, Sipamandla Zondi is one of them. But your opinion matters. Uh, if you are tweeting it, hashtag SAFM Viewpoint. And then you can tag me, Ashraf Garda, and do tag SAFM Radio as well. W- what about Professor Zondi? Let's bring it back to South Africa in terms of what is, is his relationship with with our country. Um, we saw this during the, the campaign that both sides actually did not really have a strong foreign policy, anything unusual, that is huge in terms of their foreign policy towards Africa. And as a result, very little said about foreign policy towards any African country. And African countries are therefore sliding quite uh, uh, to the lower scales in terms of their, their attention and uh, interest of the, of the United States. Perhaps because uh, under Trump, uh, Trump did not have any specific major agreement that uh, was with Africa that he needed to repeal. He didn't make an intention to repeal, for example, the Accord. And for that reason, that is not his biggest focus. His biggest focus is NAFTA. The biggest focus is the, is the, tree, is the Trans-Pacific, Trans-Pacific uh, partnership and, and, and all of those kinds of partnerships. And, and for that reason, we, we are safe for not being in the eye of the storm. So everything would then go as normal. So we are then beneficiaries of institutionalized foreign policy, and we are safe from the champion um, uh, ad hoc foreign policy move. So you say we, we saved from the eye of the storm. Uh, I mean, he has been on record as almost dismissing Africa and certainly dismissing South Africa in the past. Very different to Barack Obama, who I think has seen fit to come to South Africa next week for the uh, Nelson Mandela lecture as well. Uh, in, in what way has being you know, away from the eye of the storm helped South Africa? Uh, many people don't quite realize that the, the, the major basis of, 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 of Africa... Uh, U.S. relations, including Arabian relations right now, actually the, uh, happened under the Republican president, what George Bush, including the Agoa, the Pesca, uh, and, and all of those things, invested in, in, the, in that area. And it was not actually the Democrats, but the Democrats spoke to us nicely. They were willing to us. They were willing to kind of praise us and, and today and make, make us feel good. Um, so it, 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 it does not have any material difference for us, whether it's Republican or, or Democrat, therefore, in the, in, in the end. Uh, because we tend to be managed through an institutionalized foreign policy, controlled mainly by public service. And in that way, we are safer because we are not subject to the swings in, in, in the political realm, which were not the top priority in the U.S., whether under Obama, under Clinton, or Bush, and now this, this guy Trump. Mm. Okay, uh, 
in terms of, you know, could, are you able to pick out, you know, is is there anything uh, that that President Ramaphosa, you know, he's fairly new in his own position now, has said or has not said at all um, a few months into his position regarding American foreign policy? Has he has he come out and, and been either critical or praiseworthy or, or been very guarded in his approach? Um, the defense the, the, the was almost muted on the rise of Trump, except to worry about the rise of the right wing and the national uh, and could nationalism in, in Europe and in North America into the case of Trump and, and all that. Concerned about that. That's an institutional position. And 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 uh, uh, is a guy that would not speak out and lambast people in the public and stuff. He's a negotiator. That's a, that is character. That's a political persona. The negotiator, the deal maker, prefers to work behind closed doors and build relations with everyone. And I'm sure he's going to be working to build relations with the US, even beyond Trump, and build uh, relations with the institutions. You know, that I hope he focuses on that because it's very difficult to bank anything on, on Trump because we don't even know if he'll come back to power very soon and if you build very close relationship with them. And it might be that they are still swing in the US. Your foreign relations will be um, thrown into a, a whirlpool of 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 uh, of course we it could be it could be bad. Mm. Are there any other points around around what he's doing uh, that you may want to bring up? Perhaps I mean linked to that would be the fact that there's not a day that goes by without some sort of uh, opposition to Trump uh, within within his own country. Now, it's, we are talking foreign policy, but there are certainly uh, daily, let's call it civil, dis- not, not so much disobedience, civil protests around his policies. How big of an issue is that, considering they don't actually have the power until the next election? It is just a pity that the, that the, the, the various places in the U.S. have a few, ads, a few things that they need to pick up on, on Trump, and a lot of it is just incoherent, uh, in a way mirrors the foreign policy of Trump that they are responding to. And therefore there's a, a lot of pickets around the idea of the wall separating the U.S. Uh, from Mexico. Uh, and, and then what is happening now with the, uh, the Kurds, of, of mothers who are uh, thought to mm, have entered mm, illegally mm. into the U.S. and, and all of us. A lot of work, a lot of campaigners come out of that, and and in the, in, the, in the champion camp, it is all seen as just the Democrats or the liberals who who are weak on border and weak on crime, and they're weak on economy and all that. So it doesn't it's not having the the right effect. But there's also not been a campaign beyond the U.S. There's not been a connection of campaigns. Uh, to protect the systems of the world as we know them today uh, from the power of Trump that can be disruptive, that could introduce new dynamics that could take us in directions we have never okay. seen. And, and, and we lastly, haven't quite interpreted, really, we haven't quite interpreted what the impulses of the, of the champion behavior would do to the entire system of global government, what legacy it might leave and how how deep that might be. And, and lastly, Perhaps just in, in 30 seconds, where, where do you think this will all end up? Come again? Where, where will all this end up in, in 30 seconds, if you can? Uh, I, I think it will, it will end up in the, in the, in the, next, in the next election. And uh, uh, Trump might just win the election again because he has projected a, a strong focus on domestic interests, especially in regional jobs. 
but building the economy, about defending this U.S., which is in serious danger from the liberals out there in the world. Okay, that's where we're going to leave you. Thank you for your time. That's Professor Sipa Mandla Zondi, Professor of International Relations at the University of Pretoria. That's one thought regarding Donald Trump and his foreign policy, the American president. We'll get another opinion in a moment. 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. And we will give you updates on that uh, dramatic game all throughout the next 50 minutes and beyond. And we'll get uh, Mohamed Ali to, to wrap up with it as well before we end the show. Let's now move on, continuing talking about uh, Donald Trump's foreign policy. It's our big picture. We're trying to really understand what it is. So we've had one point of view. Let's get another point of view. My guest now is Dr. Khotatso uh, Shai, who is head of Department of Cultural and Political Studies at the University of uh, Limpopo. Well, well, good chatting to you, Dr. Shai. Hi. Hi, good evening, Ashab and the listeners of Thank you. Now, of course, we've been chatting a bit before, but, but perhaps your thoughts in terms of maybe maybe one or two pronouncements uh, that you would use to, to define uh, Donald Trump's foreign policy. Um, thank you very much. Um, I must say uh, that um, since uh, the election of Donald Trump, as the president of the United States of of America, even before he was officially elected as the president of of the U.S., one will realize that uh, the type of messages that he has, you know, conveyed to the international community in terms of the content and the the direction of you know U.S. foreign policy globally but also in the context of the African uh, context. It shows much of uh, incoherence, uh, lack of consistency, and lack of clarity in terms of how the United States as a country seeks to engage with the continent and the world uh, as a a whole. Uh, But I must also point out that, having said that, there are inconsistencies at the rhetorical level. But the truth of the matter remains that the substance, or rather the content and the direction of U.S. foreign policy over time, as early as the, you know, the 1920s, 1940s, mm-hmm. post-Cold War era, has remained the same. So, and the key denominator of this U.S. foreign policy has been neglected and, uh, and maligned. So, these inconsistencies or incoherences that we have seen, they are mainly at the rhetorical level. The point that I'm trying to say is that as we try to try to understand the nature of the U.S. foreign policy, as analysts, as observers, we need to be careful not to individualize the practice of U.S. foreign policy or the the practice of the foreign policy of any given nation. We understand that each and every head of state, including Donald Trump in this case, and as the leader of the United States, is the architect of foreign policy. Mm-hmm. But we also need to appreciate the fact that the president on his own, he does not have an absolute control in terms of the content and the direction. Of oh, okay, so, so if he doesn't have the absolute like control, then, then who does? If, if he doesn't have absolute control, then who does? It, it, it involves um, 
It involves a, 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 a lot of players. First, we need to understand that the United States of America is, is a democratic country. And decisions uh, are arrived through consultation, open debate. So we've got a calculable number of institutional groupings that are involved in the formulation and implementation of U.S. foreign policy. This includes the, the United States president in this case. We're talking about Donald Trump, but we also have the National Security Council, which is a, a strategic, a, an advisory board on strategic matters to the president. We also uh, you know, have the the Congress, which is the Parliament. We also have the Secretary of 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 of, 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 of state. So we we need to be very very much careful, uh, not to assume that the personal we have got one person or an individual in the person of the president. Who is running the show? Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say that because my my previous guest uh, that we had, which was Professor uh, Superman Lazondi, suggesting that in fact you know the American president more than any other president has as close to absolute power as you could imagine, and, and therefore uh, he's very much the man in charge. I I'm 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 really uh, reluctant to to fall to that uh, that type history. Of, 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 of analysis, because if we are, uh, and any attempt to do that, it will be actually uh, a, an, an attempt to to make him to punch above his weight. In as much as he might think that he has got power, which in at any rate, in theory or even in practice. It is not absolute. The United States of America has got a very strong democracy. There are strong systems and institutions in place which are meant to hold any president or any senior political figure in that particular country, which, you know, undertakes decisions that are not necessarily in the best interest of the country or which take decisions which are deemed or which are seen to be in contravention with the founding ideals and principles of what the United States of America uh, stands for. But in the final analysis, we need to understand that there is a a clear gap between foreign policy theory and foreign policy practice. In theory, he might appear to be having a lot of of power or what you may want to call, you know, absolute power. But in practice, he does not have that. Because when we talk about, we've got the Congress, the Congress is a powerful institution and is able to effectively and efficiently play its oversight role. And in as much as the rhetoric that uh, Donald Trump exposes appeals strongly to his political party, which is the Republican Party. The truth of the matter is that we know that the Democratic Party members in that particular country mm-hmm. are not pleased with that. And there is no way in which the Democratic Party can simply fold its arms. The representatives of the Democratic Party in the Congress, they cannot simply fold their arms. 
Okay, I understand that. And I think you've given us a very interesting insight in terms of the checks and balances, right? So having said all of that, what then are your thoughts about these maybe three major foreign policy decisions or pronouncements made by the, the Donald Trump administration? For me, the they don't really they will not have um, any qualitative effect uh, in terms of what the United States of America wants to achieve. I'll give you an example. Um, among several pronouncements that the Donald Trump administration uh, has pronounced has been that. When he comes to power, he's going to build, you know, the wall uh, alongside Mexico. He has been in office. It's it's now almost uh, two to three years since he came to power. That wall has not been constructed. And there have not been any practical measures that has been undertaken to, to put that wall in place. I mean, what does this tell us? This tells us that, you know, Donald Trump is a, is a master tactician. When he ran his campaign to become the president of the United States of America, the type of language that he was speaking, he, speak, he spoke the language that the members of the Republican Party wanted to hear. These are the people who put him into office. Oh, 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 oh. The reactions, the feeling, the perceptions of as the South Africans, the Asians, people from Mexico, what they will say does not really matter much to him. All right, but, but having Even said that, I mean, there are examples, right? you know, but, I understand outside the Mexican one, the examples around his his uh, foreign policy around immigrants, especially from certain Muslim countries that he appears to have got right. Um, the the other one, of course, is that deal with uh, with Iran, right, uh, which which he's, he's now scuppered. So he's able to certainly get lots of decisions going his way, isn't it? I beg your pardon? I was saying regarding the decisions about the the deals with Iran that he's reneged on in terms of previous agreements. I mean, he has been able to get his way, hasn't he? I'm, I wouldn't really... <coughs> I, <coughs> I wouldn't really say he has been able to, to, to get headway in terms of, you know, with the foreign policy uh, uh, pronouncement or ambitions in so far as Iran is, is, is concerned. Yes, there have been, you know, agreements uh, towards the denuclearization of, 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 of Iran. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the Iran strategic positioning and influence within, you know, the Arab League and the Arab world, Donald Trump has not succeeded in distancing or waning away, redirecting the proximity of, 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 of Iran to other Arab countries, whom in the recent past have been, you know, in the forefront of uh, the expression. That's, that's a good of point. Anti, yeah. All right. Uh, you know, can, can, uh, Arabism. Can, can we wrap up? I just mean, a, a final point. Can you make it in, in in just 15 seconds? One final point, please. I beg your pardon? Can you make a final point in just 10 seconds? Oh, my, my parting sh- shot is that uh, 
the 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 reason foreign policy pronouncement by Barack, uh, I mean by Donald Trump, is nothing serious. It is something that must be understood within the context of the emerging trend of global pol- uh, populism, and they will not it it will not really have any substantive effect in terms of the the content and the direction okay. of the U.S. And for that, we, we, we thank you for your opinions, Dr. Khotatso uh, Shah. I appreciate your input. Let's now get to, it's still uh, too old in that game, Belgium against uh, Japan. We'll give you a final score just now. Let's get to our drama, uh, or the late night serial that is called The Book of Zone 6.